This is Casey Hendrickson on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Some people are asking me if I'm doing a uh, Mary Stabbing sale again. Yeah, I do a Mary Stabbing sale every Christmas season. Don't worry. it's It'll be there. Just relax. I'll have the whole Christmas lights set up at the website and everything else, so... All right, uh, what else do we have here? Celebrities and members of the media really hate Ricky Schroeder. You know, Ricky Schroeder, the, the actor, former actor, I don't know what he's doing now. He's, I, thought, I saw something like a couple of years ago where he was doing something, but I don't remember exactly what that was. But yeah, Ricky Schroeder, well... Ricky Schroeder is one of us. Ricky Schroeder is not of the Hollywood left. He's one of us. And Ricky Schroeder um, decided to go ahead. And for those of you who don't know, we have a free Kyle, which we do on the live stream, which is about Kyle Rittenhouse. And Kyle Rittenhouse, again, is the the 17-year-old in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And Kyle Rittenhouse um, was attacked. People tried to kill him. He defended himself. And then Facebook and other people decided that they were going to falsely label him as a mass murderer. I saw a bunch of people foolishly and sillily, if that's a word, uh, comparing him to Trayvon Martin, which is asinine and ridiculous. I have my issues with the way that everybody covered the Trayvon Martin case. Uh, hence my article, Everybody is Wrong about Trayvon Martin. And it's, you know, it's not a terrible thing. You just, you can't at all compare the two of them. But that's what they have done. Ricky Schroeder finally got Kyle Rittenhouse out of jail. So this kid has been in jail this entire time. And they finally, finally got him out of jail. Well, that's good. That's exactly, exactly what we wanted. So Kyle Rittenhouse, who, again, $2 million bond or whatever it is, and, and uh, Ricky Schroeder helped him get out, $2 million in bail. Uh, they released Kyle Rittenhouse, and everybody is now furious at him. And he is just unapologetic. He's on, uh, he's on um, uh, Parlor, unapologetically, um, not hiding from this at all defending Kyle Rittenhouse, innocent until proven guilty, all of that stuff. So Lynn Wood, who again is uh, one of the attorneys involved in the case as well, that is uh, Kyle's attorney, who's also the attorney for the Covington Catholic uh, kid, but um, he's free, and he thanked Ricky Schroeder about that on on, uh, on social media, on Twitter, and on Parler. so Ricky Schroeder stepped up and, and did his best. So Bette Midler and a bunch of other people, of course, attacked Ricky Schroeder. Now, all of these people in the media and these celebrities, every single one of them, every single one of them think that Kyle Rittenhouse is a murderer somehow because they do not know the case. But furthermore, you'd think that they would have learned their lessons by now, but they don't. Uh, They have falsely labeled Kyle Rittenhouse a racist. Now, this happened with Joe Biden, which is why Lynn Wood has announced that he's going to be suing Joe Biden for saying this about Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, to be clear, this is important. Um, The people who attacked Kyle Rittenhouse were all white. Kyle Rittenhouse is white. Kyle Rittenhouse has had no evidence presented at all uh, that he is a bigot in any way 
Nobody has produced a single thing. Their one reason for saying that Kyle Rittenhouse is a racist is that that's what leftists do when they don't like somebody. That's it. They don't have any evidence of this whatsoever. None. So they attack him falsely as being a racist. No evidence of that. And because Ricky Schroeder helped him get out of prison, that must mean that Ricky Schroeder is a racist. Right. Except he's not. So everybody's really mad at Ricky Schroeder. Well, I'm looking at the photo here, and I was looking at this a couple of days ago, I think Friday, Saturday, and there's a picture, and Kyle is out of jail, right? And there's Ricky Schroeder right next to him, smiling, right? They're at his house, and Kyle is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee Company shirt. And <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, oh, my word. Um, I wonder if... That is going to become an issue. And wouldn't you know it, it has in fact become an issue because now everybody is going after Black Rifle Coffee. Now, Black Rifle Coffee was established by uh, former Special Forces people, and they, they are vehemently pro-gun. They stay out of the, the pol- politics in, in the political realm and things like that when, when it comes to parties and candidates, for the most part. But they kind of let everybody know where they are politically and they advertise with conservatives. That's what they do. Uh, And so everybody has kind of an understanding of who Black Rifle Coffee is. But now you've got Kyle Rittenhouse wearing a Black Rifle Coffee shirt. And that must mean that Black Rifle Coffee supports racist mass murderers, right? They didn't give them the shirt. Black Rifle Coffee didn't do anything. Didn't do anything here. Somebody who likes their coffee and likes their brand, bought one of their shirts, and wore it in a photo. And now, they have been pulled into this entire thing. Now, of course, Black Rifle Coffee Company has gone out and said, we don't, we don't know Kyle Rittenhouse, and we don't have any affiliation with him. Right? They're trying to stay somewhat neutral, but people are trying to cancel Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, that's not going to work. Uh, first of all, you have to look at their backgrounds, and then you also have to look at their old ads and the old funny parody videos that they made where they attack social justice warriors and and weaklings and beta males and things of that nature. So Black Rifle Coffee Company is not going to be bullied by a bunch of people. But they did issue a statement that they don't have any affiliation with this 17-year-old kid, which they don't. But think of, think of the logic here. If you go out there, let me give a perfect example of how stupid this is, right? Do you know how many gang members who murder little kids wear Nike? Does anybody look at any of these mug shots for these people and say, hey, hey, they're they're wearing Nike apparel and then go to Nike and demand that Nike disavow any relationship with this murdering gang member? Does that ever happen in our society? No, it only happens when you could be dealing with people on the political right. That is the only time that anybody cares at all about what apparel somebody is wearing in a photo. So because Kyle Rittenhouse, who, again, I agree with a lot of people on my my live stream, is a flippin' hero, when Kyle Rittenhouse is wearing a shirt of a company that he might like, the audacity of cancel culture to go after that company and tell that company, uh, do you have any relationship with this guy? And, and do you disavow him? Why don't we do that with any athletic apparel company? How about 
entire gangs, ladies and gentlemen, wear the merchandise of specific sports teams. Like the LA Kings, for example. The Oakland Raiders. Well, now the Las Vegas Raiders, for another example. This is that way all over the country. So anytime there is a crime involving those gangs, does anybody run to those sports franchises and demand that they disavow any connection with these people? No, of course not. It only happens when it is politically expedient to attack the right in order to weave a narrative. And the media, in all of their sanctimonious hypocrisy, will oblige. We've got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. And don't forget, we're live streaming on DLive, DLive.tv slash Casey the host. You can go watch the live stream, hang out with other listeners during the uh, the commercial breaks. Uh, somebody sent me a text that says, Casey, too bad he wasn't wearing a Ben and Jerry shirt. If he was wearing a Ben and Jerry shirt, it would have never been an issue. That's the point. But I, I, I mean, obviously, I know you're being facetious, but that's the point. Um, you know, and, and so here's the thing. The media runs with a fake news story that somehow Black Rifle Coffee is affiliated with Kyle Rittenhouse. All right. They're not. They never have been. There's never been any evidence of that. All we have is a 17 year old kid wearing the shirt of a company that he likes. That's it. Which is what 17 year old kids do. It's what you do for those of you in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. Uh, Everybody does this. Nobody, logically speaking, would have ever seen that as an endorsement by Black Rifle Coffee that this kid, this 17-year-old young man, who defended himself against multiple assailants after putting out a fire that was started by one of those assailants who also happens to be a convicted pedophile. Okay, again, that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a 17 year old who was assaulted because he put out an arsonist's fire. So anyway, you see the kid wearing a black rifle shirt. And instead of being normal, mature adults and responsible news media, instead of just backing away and going, I guess he likes black rifle coffee. Instead of doing that, no, they immediately run to the brand and accuse the brand of profiting off of this incident. So that's a fake news story. So then Black Rifle Coffee, uh, Hafer, who is the founder of Black Rifle Coffee, former Green Beret, he has to go out there, Evan Hafer, he goes out there and he releases a video. And he says, no, we don't have any relationship with Kyle Rittenhouse, nor have we um, sponsored him in any way. Why? Because we don't make money off of tragedy. We're not interested in making a single dollar off of this. Okay. So, which is responsible. It is a, it is a tragedy. This, this kid had, this kid was attacked. Somebody, three people tried to murder him and he had to kill two of them and wound the third one to survive. That's what happened. It is a tragedy, but that was the responsible thing for Black Rifle to do if they were going to issue a statement on it at all, which they probably should not have done. But they issued a statement saying, we don't have a relationship with him. He's just wearing one of our shirts and we're not interested in making any money off of this. So then after the fake news story was exposed as being a fake news story, 
they the media to cover their fake news story launches a second fake news story that black rifle coffee disavowed kyle rittenhouse well, they didn't <laughs> that's not what happened daily beast but that's what daily beast said this coffee company was mega royalty first of all black rifle coffee has been popular before trump so let's let's cut the crap. They make the second best coffee in the entire world, right behind my own. And they make good coffee. Darn good coffee. I have been a subscriber. I'm not anymore, but I have been a subscriber for a couple of years. And they make very, very good coffee. The second best in the world behind Casey's Burn and Brew and Casey's Dark Side Blend, which you can get at tacoacoffee.com slash Casey the Roast. So this is a very popular company. And yeah, they're popular with people on the right because people on the right tend to be military veterans. <laughs> they tend to like uh, the attitude that Black Rifle Coffee has. But the fake the fake news story then morphed into from from the original fake news story about having an affiliation or making money off of what happened with Rittenhouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Then the fake news story becomes, oh, they disavowed Kyle Rittenhouse. See, now what they're trying to do is they're actively trying to destroy Black Rifle Coffee by turning the political right against Black Rifle Coffee. You realize all Black Rifle Coffee does is charitable work and make coffee and make funny videos. That's all they do, folks. They don't do anything else. Some of the people that you see featured in Black Rifle Coffee have their own podcasts and things of that nature. Sure, it is a company that hires veterans who makes a really good cup of coffee, multiple coffee blends, and they have a very funny marketing strategy. That's all they do. They raise a ton of money for charities. Tons. They don't run around and do anything else. And you've got the media actively trying to destroy them. Why? Because they don't like anything that might have an opinion that leans even slightly right. Everything that leans right must be destroyed. Everything. And that's exactly what they're looking at. So they launch, this is how the media works, though. They launch one fake news story. You've seen this throughout uh, the past, I mean, you've seen it more than the past five years, but you've especially seen it the past five years. You launch one fake news story, you get caught, and you cover your backside with that fake news story by launching another fake news story designed to take the attention off the original fake news story and then hopefully start an argument between, between uh, various groups that you're politically opposed to. Now, it's, there's no doubt that Black Rifle Coffee is pro-Second Amendment. They're veterans. I got news for you. 99% of all veterans, especially combat elements and special forces, are going to be pro-gun. That's just reality. You are almost never going to run into anybody uh, who served in any uh, forward capacity, special operations, combat element of the military is going to be anti-gun. You're almost never going to find that. Occasionally, once in a blue moon, you will. But you'll almost never find it. The people who were veterans who were anti-gun were pencil pushers, 90% of them. So, yes, they are absolutely pro-gun, 100%, which means they're the enemy, according to the political left. And because Black Rifle Coffee probably leans right, even though they don't really weigh into it a whole bunch, most people kind of assume that, they have to be destroyed. So what you're going to do now is you're going to say that Black Rifle Coffee disavowed Kyle Rittenhouse, and a lot of people... Uh, because, again, it doesn't matter what political side of the aisle you're on, will not go out there and actually watch Evan Hafer's video and see what he actually said. 
because he clearly doesn't disavow Kyle Rittenhouse. He's made it very clear that the company is not interested in making any money at all on any tragedy. And anytime you have a loss of human life, that is a tragedy, even if the loss of human life was justified. And this just kind of dovetails into something that I, I read from Axios. So Jim Vandehy in Axios. Axios does some really good digital um, technology reporting. Their political and social commentary often is not very good. But I actually thought this was a pretty interesting article. It's called Blunt 2020 Lessons for Media and America. That's an interesting title. Now, usually when you run into something like this, you're going to start running into, you know, crazy speak, but not so. Uh, number one, the media remains fairly clueless about the America that exists outside of the big cities where most political writers and editors live. I'm reading an Axios article where the first thing that they actually said of substance is accurate. That's a new one for me. The media remains fairly clueless about America that exists outside of the big cities where most political writers and editors live. The coverage missed badly the surge in Trump voters in places obvious, rural America, and less obvious, Hispanic heavy border towns in Texas. Let's be honest, many of us underappreciated the appeal of Trump's anti-socialism message and the backlash against the defund the police rhetoric on the left. But you would have to be in a bubble, which the left exists in, to not know that. Uh, he goes on. The media and many Democrats are fairly clueless about the needs, wants, and trends of Hispanic voters. True. Uh, next thing. The polls too often sucked. Duh. Next thing. The media filter bubble is getting worse, not better. Ho, ho, ho. True. That's good stuff. And it's not just about the media itself worsening the bubble that they coexist in, but their viewers, readers, and listeners. That is all very true. The next thing, Twitter is a mass reality distortion field for liberals and reporters. The groupthink and liberal high-fiving was as bad as ever and continues to be a massive trap and distraction for journalists. True. Facebook is a mass reality distortion field for conservatives. Look at the content pages that get the most daily interaction, shares, likes, etc. It's all right wing. Probably some truth to that. YouTube is a mass reality distortion field, uh, field for people of all stripes. Probably true. The bottom line, we are losing the war for truth. There is no bigger crisis for media, politics, and society than the growing number of people who do not believe facts and verifiable figures. True. And Axios is guilty of publishing false facts and false figures as verified, but still accurate as a commentary on our culture and our society. More coming up, Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Well, we got some breaking news for everybody. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I'm Casey Hendrickson. Also want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. Uh, breaking news just a few seconds ago, Michigan Election Board has certified the victory for Joseph Biden.
And uh, again, this is the ongoing battle that is happening inside the re-election efforts. Trump is winning some legal battles and he's losing others. And then, of course, he's appealing the ones that he is losing to higher courts. And we'll ultimately see what ends up ends up happening from all of that. But, you know, a lot of weird stuff has been happening in Michigan. And we'll get into some of the stuff with the lawyers and everything else that's been going on, too. And there's some confusion about that and some stuff that may possibly... Uh, may possibly um, lead to even more cases down down the line. So, you know, we'll we'll see. But uh, let's take a look here at the Secretary of State in Michigan. That is Benson. Benson's, um, well, routinely running into issues. No legal avenue for two Republicans to rescind the certification vote. So remember, uh, this is the, the uh, Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer has, as I told you, you know, right, right after the election in Michigan, it became pretty clear that she was lying to everybody about her campaign promises. Um, I, the moves that she made, made it pretty clear. This is long before COVID that Gretchen Whitmer was one of the more tyrannical governors that I have seen in my career. And when I say that, I mean the tendencies for tyranny flow in her more so than in most even more so than uh, places like chicago and new york and new jersey it just it became pretty evident what she was setting up and as i kept giving you updates on some of this stuff you know some of you bought into it some you didn't buy into it i think that most of you probably buy into it now but then you have just some of the, the weird things that that she has done throughout you know the pandemic and um, her attorney general, Dana Nessel, is a special kind of character, and I mean that in the worst possible way. And then Jocelyn Benson, not great either. I mean, just some of the stuff that they have done. Dana Nessel's running around threatening journalists with lawsuits if they continue to report on election irregularities in Michigan, which are clearly present. And by the way, have been widely recognized for multiple election cycles it didn't just automatically show up in a Trump election. They have been issues, especially in Wayne County, for a number of years. You can go back to 2008 and, and 2006 and everything else where you'll see articles about these weird anomalies that happen in Wayne County, Michigan. So when we were heading into the election, everybody was saying, well, you know, hey, Trump will probably win Michigan unless, he, unless something happens in Wayne County. And sure enough, something happened in Wayne County. And once again, Wayne County has... You know, like 71% of the districts there um, have more ballots than people who, who uh, said that they were going to vote or requested to vote or what have you. It's just, you know, basically this has been a consistent problem where they have too many votes in districts in Wayne County. And that is something that has plagued them for a number of years. It's not brand new. It's not unique to this election. Um, the numbers that we see in this election are on par with what we saw in, in uh, 2018 and in, in 2016. So... Um, you know, it's it's really not anything that people are super surprised about. But occasionally you'll run into people who don't know anything about Michigan and they're just like, oh, there's no voter fraud in Michigan. What are you talking about? And we all know that that is not the case. But the Michigan Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, said last Thursday that there was no legal avenue for two members of the Wayne County Board of Canvassers to re reverse their votes. Now, the Republican um, canvassers had voted to certify after they were threatened, and one of their kids was doxxed by a political candidate in Michigan. 
Uh, he doxed them on social media, told everybody what neighborhood they lived in and what school the girl went to, accused uh, the whole neighborhood and the mom of being a racist and uh, went into the girl having to deal with their black classmates being a racist and the daughter of a racist and all of this other stuff and told everybody what school that girl went to and doxed the family. So um, they voted to certify the results. They originally said they weren't going to certify them. There were too many problems, too many irregularities. Doesn't necessarily mean fraud. Okay, it just means that there was irregularities that needed to be investigated and, and, and figured out first. They weren't going to certify. Then they were threatened and doxed, and then they certified. And then they said they wanted to decertify after they signed affidavits that they were threatened. All right. Like I said, the way that the, the municipalities around the country where voter fraud is prevalent, places where the mob and where oftentimes the union and the mob coexisted together or were one in the same. And that was Wayne County. Uh, Wayne County is one of those places. Las Vegas is another one of those places. Chicago, New York, you, you know, you, you can go through the, the gambit here. Uh, Philadelphia to an extent as well. You know, these are places where the mafia and certain labor unions intertwined dramatically. And those are the places where you tend to have the most systemic fraud. And that's where intimidation is most used as well. So we have that. And now the Secretary of State goes out there last week and says there's no legal avenue for them to rescind their certification. They can't. So even though they're saying that they were threatened, we're not going to accept it. Now, under normal circumstances, what would happen is the Secretary of State or the Attorney General would look at it and go, wow, people are being uh, influenced because their families are being threatened. We have that, that obviously affects the election. We have to take a look at this and investigate. There would have been an investigation that would have looked at the threats, uh, the veracity of those threats, if it was a legitimate reason for them to rescind their certification, and that would have happened. That has not happened. They didn't care. The Attorney General of Michigan, the Secretary of State of Michigan, the Governor of Michigan, do not care that people were saying we were being threatened and coerced into changing uh, our our viewpoints on certification. So then we have just you know a few minutes ago, Michigan has certified the results in in the election. It was always going to be an uphill battle for Michigan, by the way. Michigan is the state that's in question right now, where the most votes were cast for Biden. And yes, there's massive fraud in Michigan. It is undeniable there's massive fraud in Michigan. The real question is, can you prove enough in a court of law to overturn those votes, the numbers that are needed in order to swing the state back towards Trump? And we're talking about like 140 to 150,000 votes. And that is, that is a tough thing to prove in a court of law. So I always told you, expect Michigan to be um, certified and held for Biden, even if Trump proves his case. So it's... You know, no big surprises there with Michigan, but that just happened this afternoon, just so you know. Um, and Trump's win in some cases, he's losing other cases. You know, but Jonathan Turley also weighed in on the attorney general who threatened Republicans. So it's not just other people inside Michigan threatening Republicans, but the attorney general herself also threatened Republicans, and Jonathan Turley weighed in on that last week. We'll talk about that coming up on 95.3 MNC.
And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. So let's dive into the Attorney General, Dana Nessel. Now remember, we're just talking about these Republican canvassers in um, in Wayne County. They were They were doxxed. They were threatened. They felt like they were coerced into certifying those results. They tried to rescind those results by letting everybody know that they were threatened. Uh, and then you've got the Secretary of State saying they have no legal way to do that at all. And I said, in a, in a legitimate world, the Attorney General would have investigated threats which could affect the outcome of an election. And the Attorney General didn't investigate, wasn't interested, and in fact made threats of her own. So this is, again, the same Attorney General that is threatening criminal charges on reporters who do stories about election irregularities in Michigan. This is the same woman, Dana Nessel. On Friday afternoon, leaders of Michigan's Republican-controlled state legislature met with Trump in the White House at his invitation. Now, this is Jonathan Turley, a liberal law professor. My column today explores the difficulty in any strategy to trigger an electoral college fight. However, the objective from legislators could focus on a host of sworn complaints from voters or irregularities in voting counts. We have not seen evidence establishing the type of systemic problems that would flip a state, let alone the election as a whole. While the legal team did raise some credible electoral concerns, I was also critical of Rudy Giuliani's global communist conspiracy claim at the press conference this week. Some of these questions are being addressed in the courts. In the meantime, state legislators have a right to raise electoral objections and seek resolution in the legislative branch. This is true. All right, now, here's where things get interesting. Jonathan Turley writes about the Washington Post, who had an article that Dana Nessel, the Attorney General of the state of Michigan, who is threatening journalists with criminal actions if they continue to write about election irregularities. Dana Nessel is conferring with election law experts on whether officials may have violated any state laws prohibiting them from engaging in bribery, perjury, and conspiracy. Now, what did these officials do? They took a meeting with the president. That's it. So what ended up happening is, the president invited some of these these officials, Republicans in the state of of uh, of uh, Michigan, and Senator Mike Shirkey. He he posted a statement. He said legislative leaders meet with President Trump, Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirkey, and Speaker of the House Lee Chatfield today released the following statement after their meeting with President Donald Trump at the White House. The President of the United States extended invitations to us on Wednesday evening. We each accepted his invitation as we would accept an invitation from any sitting president if asked to meet at the White House. We were proud to be joined by our colleagues to represent Michigan in our nation's capital. Because they met with the president, the attorney general of the state of Michigan is threatening lawmakers, okay, the leader of the House in Michigan and the leader of the Senate in Michigan with criminal charges, I want you to think about this. The Democrat attorney general of the state of Michigan, who is also threatening journalists with criminal charges for reporting, is also threatening 
the two top elected officials in Michigan's legislature with criminal charges for receiving an invitation and meeting with the president of the United States. She is threatening them with crimes. It is, it is uh, weaponization of the criminal code for political purposes that we have seen in the last four years against Trump, Turley writes. Notably, the focus is on the same discredited interpretation used against Trump and notably not adopted by the impeachment-eager House Judiciary Committee, bribery. In Politico, Richard Primus wrote that these legislators should not attend a meeting with Trump because, quote, it threatens the two Michigan legislators personally and with the risk of criminal investigation. This ridiculous legal claims is based on the bribery theory. And then what ends up happening is law professor, constitutional law professor, liberal Jonathan Turley breaks apart this notion that meeting with the president, if you are an elected official in the state, somehow makes you a perpetrator of bribery. Like I said, Whitmer's a tyrant. More coming up.